0: Went to the most amazing bookstore this weekend with someone who works at bookstores and has done literary agent work, which meant I got a personal tour of a bookstore with someone who both knew the intellectual, indulgent books I wanted in that sense and also picked up a ton of just dumb romance novels and put them both in my hands. And then I got to climb a book ladder. Like, what
1: else could you ask for? you've been going to a lot of bookstores lately this is like a really fun gratifying trend for you yeah it's been amazing uh, it, it,
0: i'm just back in that reading vibe in my spare time it's like all i do and i mm-hmm. flip-flop like right now i'm reading two books one is the picture of dorian gray and the other is the second book in the bridgerton series so like i'm spanning a wide range here how is bridgerton I actually am really enjoying the writing style. I find it very humorous and, and quippy in a way that I'm enjoying. I didn't read the first one, though. I literally just skipped the first one and started reading the second one. I,
1: <laughs> I figure I knew what happened in the first one. I watched the show. Darn it. I really want to know what happens in the book and the controversial parts that happened in the show.
0: I'll probably read... The first one after the second one knowing me but i only i didn't okay i was being persnickety i didn't want a copy of the first one that has the actors on it which i'm sure is all i'll be able to find and they had a copy of the second one that was the original print and again i was like i've seen the show i don't need the first you know i didn't know if i would like it i'm enjoying it i got it
1: yesterday and i'm over halfway through i can't say i would do anything else but i am also rolling my eyes at you you know like i would probably behave the same way But I can't help myself. I'm trying to build a collection
0: of books for my future in-home library. And if I can, I would prefer to get non-TV show covers of books.
1: I have to say, nothing has turned me off of the in-home library aesthetic more than TikTok. Really? Which is crazy because we consume so much book talk. But if another... Affluent white girl posts a video of her library where all the books are turned so the spines are in so you don't know what book is what what, and it's all just pages or turns it so that the books are out so you can see which one is displayed. I'm gonna scream.
0: (laughs) Interesting. I mean, I'm all for alternative forms of enjoying literature. I mean, there's libraries, there's thrift books there's thrift stores there's all this stuff that trend doesn't bother me the same way but i see where you're coming from here's the thing the one thing that does genuinely make me extremely uncomfortable is when people organize their books by color (laughs) how do you find anything
1: i don't organize my books at all so i i just know where they are
0: (laughs) But same. I'm the same. And it drives my sister crazy because she always always organizes them by author.
1: Yeah. If I couldn't, I guess if I can't find it, I'm just not meant to be reading that one. I'll find something else along the way. I just, Mm -hmm. I would never go into someone's home or say to someone I know, like, I don't like the way you organize your books. But because it's TikTok and I'm curating the thing that I am consuming, when I see that, I am annoyed.
0: What about it? What about it frustrates you? This is genuinely interesting to me. Is it that it seems like it's for show more than for genuine love of
1: reading like what you no know, it's probably also wrapped up into the fact that everybody keeps recommending the same five books okay yeah on tiktok like it's it's just that combination of re- receiving the same thing over and over and over again and having everybody kind of uh, pose it as if it is shiny and new Mm. and I think I'd just be so much more comfortable with it if everyone was like hey this is the same five books everyone's recommending and it's really good or like hey I organized my bookshelf this way because you know it's pretty and everyone's doing it like I just I don't know you want authenticity I think I I can't I'm so interested we need to
0: talk about this not on the podcast because something about this clearly (laughs) gets to like something in you I know And in no way I have ever thought to this level of. So I want to dig into this. But for now, <laughs> hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast.
1: <laughs> that It's so illogical. I just want to say it is so illogical because I think, you know, we destroy books like you and I actively oh, yeah. destroy books. So I'm not here to like gatekeep how people participate with books. It's right. just it it irks me a little bit. I'm just going to have my crappy disorganized bookshelf i guess oh my in-home
0: library is not gonna be pretty it is going to be messy and filled with more knickknacks i mean my the thing that i'm excited about is like i just need to get more bookshelves because genuinely the ones that i have right now i look today and they're sagging in the middle the shelves are sagging yes. under the weight of all the rows of books that i've collected <laughs> over so the cool. years
1: <laughs> and i'm scared it's gonna break i am trying to figure out if when I move, I can have a ladder bookshelf. That's all I want. Even if I don't deserve it. I'm trying to figure out if I... You, Of course you deserve it. <laughs> and I also do buy books because they're pretty. So, I don't know. I'll examine this further. As Tracy said, hey, hi, this is our podcast. I'm Rowan Hall. <laughs> and I'm Tracy Harrison. And this is Willing and Fable. We're the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating.
0: And if you, dear listener, would like to support us, please subscribe to our podcast, rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. It really, truly helps us. You can also shop our super fun merch designed by my sister Jamie Harrison at willingandfable.com or you can enjoy our secret, not-so-secret Discord that is definitely not a cult for legal reasons and tax purposes and become a patron on patreon.com slash willingandfable or you can get dressed in your favorite outfit put on your coolest mask, and head over to the nearest pharmacy or medical facility and get vaccinated against COVID-19. But no matter what, please know we appreciate you. Get vaccinated.
1: Hey, speaking of get vaccinated, today's topic is all me, baby. And by all me, I mean it's a topic Tracy really likes. So it's me and also Tracy, because I know she knows facts off the top of her head.
0: Yes. Before we jump into today's topic, we have one more ask of our listeners, aside from getting vaccinated. Please send us your listener legends. Mm. These could be stories from your hometown, uh, a ghost you saw one time, a murder that happened nearby, that story that your uncle talks about from when he came home from college and picked up a vanishing hitchhiker, a cool thing that happened in your country— Absolutely anything, but that Listener Legends episode we did for episode 50 was one of our favorite things, and getting to hear about your lives and your stories is so much fun for us. So if you want to send us your own story, you can do so by going to our website, willingandfable.com and doing it on our contact form, or just emailing us at willingandfable at gmail.com.
1: With that out of the way, Rowan, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about, uh... Let me let me actually back that up. Okay, so today's topic on the vein of get yourself vaccinated is the plague or the black death. Because nothing says spooky season like mass illness. <laughs> <laughs> spooky scary skeletons. Okay, but all joking aside, like, I really do anticipate that plague masks, like those long bird beak leather masks with goggles, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are going to be one of the most popular costumes of this holiday Halloween season. Ooh. And I think it's because they were such a meme during the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak, and this is kind of the first Halloween that, like, ideally, potentially will all be let out. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we'll be let out this Halloween. I think it's still too Ew. soon. Don't mess this up. I'm living in my delusion. But let out for me could also be just running, screaming through the woods.
0: So <gasps> That's the true freedom.
1: <laughs> running like a cryptid through your local
0: woods. Yeah, you're the person who made us run outside on New Year's Eve at midnight and howl at the moon. Like, this is where we're at. And by that, this made us do that. I mean, that, that wasn't a recent thing, everyone. That was like... I don't know, 10th or 11th grade in high school.
1: It's not like a not recent behavior, though.
0: No, no, no. It's continued. (laughs) I just want people to know that this isn't like a new quirky thing Rowan's developed. She's always been the kind of person who will (laughs) run out and howl at
1: the moon. She's always been judgmental of people's bookshelves and howled (laughs) in the woods. It's called complex
0: character development. (laughs) (laughs)
1: the howling part is the manic pixie dream girl the book judgment is the part that's hopefully going to be repaired by the end of book three
0: (laughs) that's the interesting flaw that the main character needs to like (laughs) help her work through
1: yep it's the only one (laughs) (laughs) before i dive into our topic today just remember this episode is going to discuss plagues pandemics the effects of widespread disease listener discretion is as always advised so right off the bat i want to explore the difference between a plague and remember going forward we have the plague Mm -hmm. which is always the black death it's the black plague it's the one true og big bad title plague yep 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 yep. but not all plagues are the plague (laughs)
0: Right, right. As we know now, you know, as we're experiencing, thank, thankfully we are not going through capital T, the capital P plague. It is a plague.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to know if COVID-19 qualifies as a plague because people love to argue about words and the early 2020 news just came through for me. Ooh, go on. So an epidemic is a disease that affects a large number of people in a community or region. It becomes a pandemic when it spreads over multiple countries or continents. We have an endemic, Mm -hmm. which only applies to a certain people or country. And then, of course, there's an outbreak, which is what Intermountain Healthcare calls, quote, a greater than anticipated increase in the number of endemic cases. It can also be a single case in a new area. If it's not quickly controlled, an outbreak can become an epidemic. Okay. And then we have plague. Plague is a very specific disease caused by bacteria, and we cure it with <sighs> antibiotics. So I was wrong. We are not going through a plague. Actually, buckle up. Hold on. Don't okay. don't sign right. up for being wrong yet. Okay. So we can cure it with antibiotics, and some epidemics... Endemics, pandemics like COVID-19 are actually caused by viruses. So to keep it simple, where bacteria are single-celled organisms, viruses are basically a small bit of nucleic acid and protein that goes about its merry way inside of a host, and we don't have a cure for viruses, we only have vaccines, baby!
0: This is scratching such a specific itch of my nerddom. I am so...
1: Okay, I'm going to say this right here and now. While I was picking what episode I was going to do, I 100% did this for you. I love you. you. You get me. You know that
0: I listen to medical podcasts and watch videos about weird medical history stuff for fun. I I don't know why the idea of how we've tried to treat each other throughout history is so incredibly fascinating to me, but it is one of my favorite topics.
1: Yeah, it's it's like this weird. You know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hold my thoughts on that because I have a lot of them. And okay. if I start now, my weird organizational system will be thrown to Hades. Anyway. Okay. All right, all right. Okay. So, Tracy, we're gonna say you're not fully wrong because even though the World Health Organization says plague is its own specific thing. Dictionary.com points out that, quote, Plague can also mean an epidemic disease that causes high mortality or pestilence. More figuratively, plague can mean any widespread calamity or evil, especially one considered a direct punishment by God.
0: <laughs> okay. All
1: right. So if you're thinking about the super punk rock Abrahamic biblical plagues from Egypt, you are exactly right. (laughs) Plague and pestilence or, quote, a deadly or virulent epidemic disease usually go hand in hand when writers really, really want you to feel super squicked out and scared. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So wear a mask to avoid the plague and pestilence of COVID-19. Throughout history, widespread disease has been helped along by agrarian societies. Nicholas LePan, writing for World Economic Forum, writes, quote, The more civilized humans became, the larger cities, more exotic trade routes, and increased contact with different populations of people, animals, and ecosystems, the more likely pandemics would occur. Civilization, in this case, means more is more, and that includes more diseases spreading more easily to more places. And the more we urbanize the world and continue to embrace the myriad of ways to quickly and easily travel, the easier it is for diseases to spread. The Black Plague flourished the way that it did, for example, because trade via sea routes was booming in the 14th century, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and colonial powers were not particularly good at managing disease.
0: I'm sure you'll talk about it more, but this was the time period where there were two leading theories of medicine. One was obviously the humoral system, which, stop me if you're going to get into it, yep, and the other was the the theory of um, miasma, the miasma theory, where bad air was what caused Mm -hmm. stuff. Okay, we're going to get into it later. Oh, (laughs) this is like this is like Rowan has created the podcast I've always wanted to listen to just for me to be the single captive audience. So if anyone else is enjoying this, I'm so glad. But this is for me.
1: It really this is, is for, for you. It was a little <laughs> stressy. I'm going to be honest.
0: No, there's no... You're, no matter what you do, it's going to be wonderful. There was no reason to be stressed. I'm sorry you were stressed. Please continue.
1: I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I also quickly want to stipulate that in that quote, the word exotic sounds like it might mean... Spice trade and the moving of goods and services, but it also means the slave trade. Cool. Mm, Bad. Go on. Yeah. So I've titled the next section, What Kind of Yuck Was the Plague?
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you didn't say that, I was going to make you read it out loud anyway. So I'm glad
1: (laughs) glad you said it. When I have the heavy hitters, I always write the weirdest titles (laughs) over sections. I love it. While researching this, I got used to plague being a word on its own because plague is its own disease, Black Death or otherwise. Mm-hmm. There were great plagues that ravaged European cities between the 14th and 18th centuries. And of course, the Black Death is that, that first burst, that 14th mm-hmm. century hit of awfulness. One round, considered the third Great Plague, even killed 12 million people by 1855. Wow. Yeah. We're going to get into some shiny, shiny statistics later, but those are for me, so I put them at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, plague. It's caused by a bacterium called Yersinia pestis Mm -hmm. that is usually found in small mammals and the fleas that live on them. This makes it a zoonotic disease, and it was spread widely via the rats and fleas that traveled on trade ships. Though bodily fluids and other contaminated materials are certainly possible carriers, human-to-human contraction is very rare in any form of plague. Really? Cat. Yeah.
0: I know. Huh? I know. I mean, this one, this one was human-to-human, right? Like, this one, that did happen.
1: Not as much as you think, but not Never. But like, okay. Right, right. I don't want to tell you there was no human to human because that would be absurd. I just want to emphasize. It's not like, oh, sneeze and you catch
0: it, but it is like you're covered in things that are oozing and those oozing things get onto other people and then that causes
1: it. Okay, okay, okay. Buckle up. So, (laughs) Tracy, bummer news for you. Cats are very susceptible to plague because, of course, they are. Their whole job during the Dark Ages was to eat rats. Uh, Yeah, you're Uh, right. You're and right. then if you move up the household food chain, there's dogs. Oh. And they can catch the disease, too. They eat
0: anything. Like, they eat anything. <laughs> so that makes sense, too.
1: And it's it was not unheard of for people to contract plague from their cats. hmm I'm not surprised at all. Even a little bit. So, humans who are infected with plague from Lola... Experience flu. No, do not take that sentence back. Do not take it back. uh, I take it back. Beautiful thing. I take it back. Terrible thing. I take (laughs) it back. Okay. Thank you. Humans who contract plague, never from Lola, experience (laughs) flu-like symptoms that come about within one to seven days of contact with a carrier. If left untreated, the fatality rate is between thirty and one hundred percent wow to this day okay that was my follow-up question was to this day to this day it's still (gasps) oh because it's viral depends on where you are in the world it's not viral it's bacterial oh you're right well Tracy I just listen I just need you to sit tight because I am about to rock (laughs) your boat I'm about to okay 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 but people who don't know this because I know that you do there are types of plague we have bubonic plague which the World Health Organization says, quote, is the most common type of plague. It affects lymph nodes, it can be severe, but there is no human-to-human transmission. With bubonic plague, the lymph nodes of the armpits, neck, or groin will swell into buboes, and they grow to the size of eggs, and they ooze pus. And when people think of the Black Death, they think of bubonic plague because... Everyone's lymph nodes were swelling and things were terrible, but that wasn't actually the only kind of plague that was going on. Wild. Throughout this myriad of time, the plagues have been plaguing and during the Black Death. We have septicemic plague, which is when it hits the bloodstream. We're thinking of flea bites or infection via open wounds. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, this can cause unusual bleeding, vomiting, or diarrhea, and that spreads the disease further. Yep. And then there's also pneumonic plague. To quote who again, the deadliest and most rapid form of plague occurs when it reaches the lungs. It can be transmitted person to person via droplets in the air. This is the rarest form, but like most lung-based diseases, it's spread easily via patients coughing. Wear a mask. (laughs) So
0: are are some of these more deadly than others? Is that where the 30 to 100 percent comes from or is it just depending on how you get it what treatments are available that can cause the survival rate to increase or decrease
1: i'm not a scientist and so i hope no one's screaming at me but from my understanding from what i read the swing was linked to access to medical care okay i don't want to say like it sounds like well it sounds like when it's in your lungs it's you die quicker Yes, mm-hmm. but I think one of the major contributing factors, especially during times at which medicine was lackluster at best, getting care of any kind really affects things. hmm Okay. So yes, there are various forms of deadliness. Mostly my thesis for this whole episode is gonna be care matters. <laughs> and there okay. are a lot okay. of makes sense. There are a lot of things that contribute to pandemics that are not just the disease itself. One of the most difficult side effects of plague, especially during the time of the Black Death, are the serious, often fatal infections that come about from open sores caused by that lymph node swelling. Many of the victims of the aptly named Black Death had gangrene, and this is when tissue dies due to lack of blood supply, causing it to blacken. It usually begins in the extremities, like fingers and toes, but if left untreated, it will spread. And it's worth noting that there is a fair amount of debate currently about how the Black Death spread. Many scholars are coming forward saying that the mechanism, which is black rat to flee to human, rules out an incredible number of factors, like rat deaths, What if they were dying too quickly to spread the disease? Oh, We would need rats who are immune, who can Mm -hmm. be carriers. What about the reality of fleas and lice that pretty much exclusively had human hosts? And then what about the human-to-human element, the presence of other diseases and comorbidities? So even though in our primary school textbooks it was like rats and fleas gave the plague to the people. Oh, yeah. It was like rats came over on boats With fleas, those fleas came out, and then everyone died. The end. Neat bow tied up. Okay, can I tell you a gross thing about fleas? Yes, always. Okay, everyone, here's a gross thing about fleas. So, I saw images of fleas, where you know, where they shine the light through them, and they dye them so you can see all their insides? I believe that's a thing. I don't look up pictures of bugs as a rule. Go on. Right, this happened to me by accident, but... It was cool nonetheless. Yeah. Okay, so you have a picture of a flea, and when it's had some blood, it basically just looks like a a shape filled with Mm -hmm. red stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And then when a flea has plague, it causes an obstruction in the flea's tiny, tiny little bowel. So it gets hungrier, and when it bites (gasps) a host, the obstruction causes plague to go forth into the creature. So it's the flea spreads plague more rapidly cuz it's not getting any nutrition and the blockage is what's causing the plague to go
0: it's so interesting how nature does that how it like just creates these mechanisms that are so effective to get done what it wants to do i mean even these little bacteria create a mechanism in the fleas to get itself t- to spread further
1: oh my gosh have you read peeps by scott westerfield no but it will be on our recommendations page now oh cuz i want to read it have you really not no Oh, my. Peeps. Oh, my God. OK. It's a young adult novel. It is one of the best books I've ever read. I think about it all the time. It's about vampirism. But vampirism is a plague. It And before every chapter, he has a mini chapter that talks about the way that these things are actually spread in real life. So I don't think this is one, but it would do a chapter on like how the flea bites work and you mm-hmm. get all the science and then you dive into the fictional story about vampire plague. And it's treated like a real disease. It's not... That's so interesting. Anyway, I'll just mail it to you after this or something. Okay, Okay. Tracy. (laughs) I have a picture for you.
0: Ooh, dancing skeletons. I'm already seeing what looks to be dancing skeletons.
1: Yeah, it's a bunch of little dancing skellies.
0: (laughs) Okay, do you want me to describe it? Yeah. Okay. It is an old-timey illustration, kind of black and white, um with some latin on the top and four dancing skeletons one's playing some kind of little trumpet or flute there's another one crawling out out of a grave uh there's one holding its own intestines it's like not a full skeleton yeah
1: that's the one that one has hair and an outfit it's, got hair.
0: it's balding <laughs> frankly you know it's they, they didn't even give it a full head of hair it, it is balding the hair's only from the mid head down um <laughs> It's a it's a real it's a real skeleton party. Some of them have more flesh on them than others, but they're all skulls at the very top and um honestly, it looks like a kind of fun time, even though it's also very morbid.
1: So this is skeletons rising from the dead for the dance of death. It's from 1493 and it is a very common example of how art of dancing skeletons would be associated with the plague Mm -hmm. and that is having now lived through covid it is an energy that i just get i get it it's like the illustration woodcut version of the 12 foot home depot skeleton yes yes it is (laughs) (laughs) tracy do you want to read what i titled this section
0: where did you come from Where did you go?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I only write really late at night, everyone. All right. It is believed that the Black Death arrived in Europe in October of 1347 via 12 ships traveling Mm -hmm. through the Black Sea to the Sicilian port of Messina. And when dock workers met the ships, they found that most of the sailors aboard were either dead or dying. They were covered in horrible black boils that were equally covered in blood and pus. And authorities immediately ordered the ships to leave the harbor. But the miasma had already filled the air.
0: Ooh, that bad smell was coming off those ships.
1: (laughs) Pin that word for a sec, because Trace and I are going to go off when we get there. (laughs) So the History Channel writes, not long after it struck Messina, the Black Death spread to the port of Marseille in France and the port of Tunis in North Africa. Then it reached Rome and Florence, two cities at the center of an elaborate web of trade routes. By the middle of 1348, the Black Death had struck Paris, Bordeaux, Lyon, and London. I don't know why that's a list of three French cities specifically. Like it had reached France and France and France and the England.
0: <laughs> it really reached France. We just can't emphasize enough. If you think of a city in France, it did get there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's important to remember that the Black Death wasn't localized only to European cities. The disease struck China, India, Persia, Syria, and Egypt, killing thousands of people. Sometimes the death tolls in these countries are overlooked because of the clear records from port cities like that of Messina and the Eurocentric focus of American education. Mm -hmm. If we go back one year earlier in time, we're now in 1347, we can see that the outbreak may have begun or at least surged in Mongolia. And it was possibly passed to humans via a local species of marmot, and it swept through the Mongol capital of Sarai, where the conquering Mongols, and trade along the Silk Road, brought it to the west via the Black Sea. In this scenario, the History Channel tells an earlier story, quote, "'Mongol king Janabar and his army were in the nearby city of Tana when a brawl erupts between Italian merchants and a group of Muslims.' Following the death of one of the Muslims, the Italian flee by sea to the Genoese outposts of Kaffa and Janneberg follow on land. Upon arrival in Kaffa, Janiburg's army lay siege for a year, but they are stricken with an outbreak. As the army catapults the infected bodies of their dead over city walls, the undersea Genoese become infected also. By May of 1347, both sides of the siege are decimated and survivors in Kaffa escape by sea, leaving behind streets covered with corpses being fed on by feral animals. One ship arrives in Constantinople, which, once infected, loses as much as 90% of its population.
0: Brutal. They flung plague-infected bodies over the wall of their
1: enemies. That's really intelligent, actually. It's brutal early biological warfare. Right. Yeah. I want to specify intelligent as in I think they are thinking in a more scientific way about disease.
0: I think they also just thought, ew, gross. Upset (laughs) them. Break their morale. I I don't know that they're like, mm. You think they were just doing it like for the goo factor? Yes. I think they were doing it because it was – the bodies were gross. It would demoralize them. Maybe it would make them sick, but I I don't believe that this will make them sick was the primary factor. I think probably it was along the lines of get rid of the bodies, horrify our enemies, drive them out, and maybe potentially also make them sick, but a combination of all those things.
1: You don't think they would hit a point like, wow, all the guys that are operating the catapults and loading the dead bodies up in there are getting sick. Maybe this is... Bad air. Got to get him out of here. (laughs) You make a good point. (laughs) When the plague made its way to Greece, Romania, Bulgaria, Poland, England, Germany, Scotland, etc., various political and environmental factors made it easier or more difficult for communities to combat its spread. For example, and this, I don't know why this shocked me so much, at the time of the Black Death, Cyprus was also hit by an earthquake and a deadly tidal wave.
0: Ooh, I didn't know that at all. Wow, Cyprus really had a Mm. rough time of it.
1: Yeah, and it... Now that, again, we're living through it, it's easy to remember that the rest of the world doesn't stop. Everything else still keeps happening. Right. The Black Death also brought the Viking exploration of North America to a halt. In July of 1349, an English ship brought the Black Death to Norway allowing the disease to easily spread to Denmark and Sweden. Mm -hmm. The king at the time believed that fasting on Fridays and wearing no shoes on Sunday would appease the Abrahamic god and end the plague. But this does not work, and his two brothers are killed by the Black Death, and then it makes its way from there to Russia and Greenland. In March of 1350... The currently healthy nation of Scotland hopes to utilize England's weakness. While preparing for attack along the border, 5,000 troops die of plague and the retreating (sighs) soldiers bring sickness back to their communities. And then one third of Scotland's population succumbs to illness. Oh my god.
0: Oh, that sucks. That's...
1: Ugh... I don't have words. It's just bad. It's heartbreaking because they were fine. They -hmm. were so fine. I mean, they probably wouldn't have been fine for long, but... Right. It's It's a bad way to have it happen, though. You want to talk about treatment? Yes, I do. Okay. Doctors believed the swelling of the lymph nodes was evidence that the body was trying to expel humors from major organs. In Europe and the Middle East at the time, they used the theory of the four bodily humors. Blood, can I try to name them without looking? Yes.
0: Blood, black bile, yellow bile, phlegm.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yes.
0: <laughs> I've rarely felt this nerdy on our own podcast.
1: <laughs> Seriously? We're over 50 episodes and you've rarely felt this nerdy? The fact that I can name the four humors just
0: because that's knowledge I have, it is a different level. Then, which
1: humor are you currently suffering?
0: I mean, definitely not blood because that's sanguine, which makes you happy. Because um, also, I'm sure you'll talk about how the four humors are like they could either be hot, cold, wet, or dry.
1: No, I'm not going to do that. So you oh, can okay. do that if you want to. <laughs> okay. So basically, the four
0: humors could be any a combination. So I don't remember off the top of my head which ones were like hot. And dry and hot and wet and hot, wet and cold and wet and dry but you treated whatever the condition was with the a, a food that was decided <laughs> to be the opposite condition mm-hmm. so if you had too much of one that was hot and dry you would treat it with cold wet food that doesn't mean the actual food is cold and wet it's just what it was considered to be in a more humoral kind of generic sense so like I don't have any of this in front of me to reference, but say, like, a loaf of bread could be cold and dry. Like, that would be something you would... So, that was a way that they would treat it. Um, Rowan is giving me the look of, like, love and pity. (laughs)
1: It's not paid. No. I I'm glad you're excited about this. I strayed away from it because I was worried it would just be too much. People won't be like, why are you telling us about I'm like kicking my feet in front of me like an excited little kid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: It's funny because I I go to an acupuncturist. Acupuncture makes my life so much better. And in Eastern medicine, there are things that are considered cold and hot. And it's mm-hmm. can confirm this information is helpful. So it's really funny to then see, like, the bastardized, made-up version of this. Oh, yeah. It, okay. So the belief in humors was first developed by, do you want to try to guess it? The ancient Greek physicians. Um, well, Galen,
0: Pliny the Elder. Oh, Hippocrates, Hippocratic Oath. Hippocrates and Galen. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha! I did extra. They're credited as the first two. <laughs> Plenty the Elder made his whole big book of like, here's medicine, and it was uh-huh. like, just him for fun on his own. Yep. like <laughs> it's the whole thing. I
1: feel like I honestly feel like I could cue you up for everything and then not <laughs> say it. I'll just be here to fact check. Okay, this is going to be fun. Okay, so to combat the humors. Aside mm-hmm. from the food, what's the really bad thing that they would do, Tracy? Oh, bloodletting. Absolutely bloodletting. Yeah, they would do bloodletting, lancing, They would induce vomiting on purpose. Oh, the whole idea was medicine didn't work if you didn't see it working. So they would
0: specifically like mix in something to make you throw up or have diarrhea with whatever like quote unquote the treatment was to get you to believe it worked all the way through like the late 19th century.
1: Yeah, that's a thing. Even today, I mean, mm-hmm. in like new age. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the reason that this bloodletting, boil, lancing, vomiting, all of that was so dangerous is because a, it's unsanitary as heck. B, dehydration was a major issue. Yeah. And also, the plague could be passed to other people via bodily fluids. Oh, and they weren't cleaning nothing. No. Oh, no. One of the most prevalent theories was the belief that a great pestilence in the air, or miasma theory, was caused by the Earth overheating due to the conjunction of the three planets Mars, Saturn, and Jupiter in 1347. And it was believed that this unnaturally hot, moist air was sweeping from Asia to Europe. And we actually have a report from the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Paris that was sent to Philip VI of France detailing this exact idea. I just want everyone to sit with that for a hot second. A university medical faculty sent this as the medicine laws. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. So imagine going to your doctor and then being like, well, Mercury's in retrograde,
1: so... You have a cold. I mean, CoStar told me the other day that my body was the dungeon door. (laughs) And I don't know what to do with that.
0: (laughs) Smile and nod.
1: So, I haven't found enough shiny, fancy sources to hang my hat on this one. But it's so interesting to me that they're talking about this hot, wet air sweeping from Asia to europe because you know i I, we do have evidence that the plague began in the mongol community and went that Mm -hmm. way and one of the reasons that some folks think this may have occurred is because there was a time of global warming during the middle ages okay and that time of global warming was causing areas around China, and where the Mongols lived, and, and that like broad swath kind of along the Silk Road, to warm and and become more fertile, and all these tiny little mammals scurried out to tiny little new mammal homes, mm-hmm. and they were running into all of the people who were using those areas now, okay. And it's so intriguing to me that they were saying the planets and the pestilence and the air. And now we have science going, okay, but maybe the planet and mm-hmm. the heat <laughs> it's it's like just just shy. Just a yeah. lot shy of the science. <laughs> <laughs> By thirteen forty eight, Spanish physician Jacques de Argamont published one of the first treatises, or short books, written for peers to advise one another on how to manage the disease. Ooh, okay. Live Science writes, quote, To protect people from the pestilential air, doctors encourage the wearing or holding of sweet or bitter substances such as violets, wormwood, vinegar, or, if you were wealthy, a chunk of ambergris. Which was a strongly scented secretion of a sperm whale's intestinal lining. Doctors also suggested burning pitch, incense, or bitter-smelling woods to purge and purify the air. From the late Middle Ages, doctors also recommended firing cannons to combat miasma with the gunpowder smoke.
0: Just firing cannons? Yeah, the gunpowder like, smoke. Well, this'll just
1: this'll just clean. I can't smell it anymore. I can't smell the death. Oh, okay. I smell only gunpowder. Hmm. Okay. Now I'm I'm picking up what they're putting down. And these treatments would appear and reappear at various times through the centuries as Europe was hit by plague. Mm-hmm. In many communities, the Black Death brought so much desolation that doctors would not see patients, priests stopped delivering last rites is a massive deal right shops were closed and families would sometimes abandon their sick loved ones to save themselves Mm -hmm. let's talk about religion okay unfortunately many people believed that the plague was a punishment from the abrahamic god at the time much of europe was staunchly catholic the History Channel says, quote, some people believed that the way to do this was to purge their communities of heretics and other troublemakers. So, for example, many thousands of Jews were massacred in 1348 and 1349. Thousands more fled to the sparsely populated regions of Eastern Europe, where they could be relatively safe from the rampaging mobs in the cities. In February of 1349, 2,000 Jews were murdered in the Strasbourg Massacre. And then in August, communities within Mainz and Cologne were slaughtered. During this time, many Jewish families moved to Poland, where King Casimir III was welcoming the Jewish immigrants. And finding that out, I cannot get the 1939 German occupation of Poland out of my head, because Mm. now we have some context for why the Jewish community so densely populated that part of Europe after so many generations post being run out during the Black Plague. Right. And the persecution at the time also affected friars and beggars and foreigners or pilgrims, the Romani people as well as lepers or people with skin conditions like acne or psoriasis. Right. Religious zealots used a variety of identities as an excuse to drive people out of communities or just outright kill them.
0: I don't have evidence for me to back this up. This was just something I read years ago that at the time, bathing was considered not good for you. They would, people would wash themselves with cloths or take air baths or whatever, but actually getting into a bath was considered to be bad for you. In the Jewish community, bathing was a part of the practice. Keeping themselves cleanly was part of the practice. And so there were fewer cases of the plague in among Jewish communities because another part of it was they were pushed into the outskirts of areas. So there was, you know, they had... It was a whole thing about also drinking out of wells and, and from mm-hmm. streams. So they were upstream and so they had cleaner water and as part of li- their lifestyle were a little bit cleaner. So people at the time looked at them and saw that they weren't getting as sick. And instead of thinking, great, we should do what they're doing, they thought it's their fault and persecuted them more.
1: Yeah, that that's absolutely what I've read as well. And it's so fascinating because in parts – of Europe being on the outside of communities saved you. Mm-hmm. But then, as people were fleeing cities, suddenly the outside of communities was farther and farther and farther, and the plague just kept traveling. hmm It... It's so frustrating seeing this all post-2020. Oh, yeah. During this time, there was also an uptick in flagellants, So beginning in Germany, hooded and half-naked, usually upper-middle-class men, traveled through Europe, and they would create processions that traveled from town to town. One of the most common versions of their practice was, in every location, they would gather three times a day for 33 and a half days, and they would beat themselves and one another with heavy leather straps that were studded with sharp metal. One.
0: Ouch. Two. 33 and a half days because Jesus died at 33 and a half years old? Truly. Is that how old he was when right he I don't know. Okay, great. Moving on.
1: <laughs> the most I know about Jesus was that he was a hot gay twink that Michelangelo painted. <laughs> no, My, Michelangelo painted a hot gay twink to represent Jesus. Wait, Jesus wasn't Michelangelo's high gay lover? We can neither confirm nor
0: deny any of this information.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there is an eyewitness account from Sir Robert Avesbury, who witnessed a large sect who crossed the English Channel to London in 1349. And this practice was not popular in England at the time. Oh, wow. So it's very interesting to hear what he says as an an extra specially outsider Quote, each had in his right hand a scourge with three tails each tail had a knot and through the middle of it there were sometimes sharp nails fixed they marched naked in a file one behind the other and whipped themselves with these scourges on their naked and bleeding bodies four of them would chant in their native tongue and another four would chant in response like a litany thrice they would all cast themselves on the ground in this sort of procession stretching out their hands like the arms of a cross the singing would go on and the one who was in the rear of those thus prostrate acting first each of them in turn would step over the others and give one stroke with his scourge to the man lying under him this went on from the first to the last until each of them had observed the ritual to the full tale of those on the ground then, each put on his customary garments, and always wearing their caps and carrying their whips in their hands, they retired to their lodgings. It is said that every night they performed the same penance. I
0: can't even imagine
1: it. I just want to emphasize that um, bubonic plague uh, comes from the fleas and gives these lymph nodes swelling. And then we have pneumatic plague, which is from coughing in the lungs and them. And then we have that one, what is it? Oh, right. It's in the blood. Um, so we have all these. <laughs> Through open wounds, you mean? Charming. Char- so we have all these charming, naked men making themselves bleed. <sighs> Notably, this group was very anti-Semitic. Not shocked. No.
0: Disappointed, not shocked.
1: And as their power grew, the Pope became concerned. And it was through his power that the movement was eventually disbanded. Mmm. Tracy, I have a picture. Okay. This picture is an illustration. The
0: first thing I thought of was that it looks like something out of Monty Python and the Holy Grail.
1: It really does. And that is because Monty Python and the Holy Grail <laughs> wanted to look like this.
0: Absolutely. It is the classic 14th century artistic style very kind of flat, um, very specific, just a very specific style of illustration. It has a procession of men with pointy black caps, no shirts, scarves and headdresses wrapped around their heads, um, skirt, like white skirts, and, um, then the, the flails, is that what they're called in their hands? scourge
1: the scourge our eyewitness friend called them a scourge so okay the scourge in their hands
0: um a man in the middle is carrying a big crucifix like like half the size of his body big crucifix
1: right and it's colored in the same flesh tones as the people so it kind of Mm -hmm. looks like he's just carrying a tiny man
0: yes and then three people in the front are fully clothed carrying a flag
1: and two poles Definitely preferable to be one of those people. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the people who were
0: the flagellants
1: did choose it.
0: It it doesn't sound fun, but, uh...
1: I'm all... Okay, that's fine. But again, the plague was spread through bodily fluids. (laughs) Yeah, knowing what we know now, this is, in every possible way, bad. Right. Let me just travel from town to town
0: dropping blood as i go along being racist just it's bad it's bad
1: i have no pity i have no pity for these Mm -hmm, mm anti-semitic (laughs) non-quarantiners this illustration is called a procession of the flagellants it's from the netherlands 1350 hmm Let's talk about quarantine. Okay. Because the practice of quarantine, which we're now all very familiar, famously began in the 14th century. And we, we know that because of easily accessible records. Mm-hmm. We, this is not to discount any quarantining that smaller communities might have done, but like right. okay. broad scale quarantine with a capital Q. In 1348, Venetian port authorities required ships arriving from cities with unknown disease outbreaks to anchor for 40 days before landing ashore. The word quarantine comes from, and pardon my Italian, quaranta giorni, meaning 40 days. They also burned the ships that carried contagion. They closed taverns and other large areas where people congregate. They restricted wine trade. And they used the gondoliers of Venice as messengers to tell people how to dispose of the dead. Ooh, The Black Death would kill 60% of Venice's population at the time.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my
1: God. It is just, despite having been through
0: a pandemic and still currently going through a pandemic, to imagine that level of to imagine that level of destruction combined with at least we do know what is helpful mm-hmm. and we have a vaccine now go get your vaccination if you haven't already to imagine that there just everything that you think helps doesn't and it is so much more deadly it, it, it I can't I can't even begin to imagine the terror and the psychological impact it had on the society
1: I don't want to say I can because that makes me sound like "Ugh, I'm at black plague level. It feels very egotistical, but I kind of can I suppose it just imagine twenty twenty but without the internet well, and so much war like it's just
0: i can't I can't imagine that because we know so much today about what helps and hurts and how disease spreads, and the the we have modern medicine and to just know how bad it got and how people reacted and then to ratchet that up with like, okay, bloodletting will help. Oh, whoops, accidentally spread it. Oh, flagellation will help. Mm -hmm. Accidentally spread it. The idea of all the things that you're desperately trying to do making it worse and not knowing why and seeing everyone around you. I mean, people abandoning their own families to die in agony alone because that is the only possible chance they have of survival It is very different than the experience we've had in 2020, which was objectively horrible and millions of people had extreme losses and are suffering extreme. Just as a society, we are dealing with the mental consequences of what we've gone through. It's just unfathomable to think of the Black Death in my head.
1: The thing that I keep coming back to is how frustrated people must have felt When other people weren't doing what they thought would help. Because I we feel that so often on the news when we're saying, you know, get vaccinated and people are spouting incorrect versions of science or just Mm -hmm. outright not doing it. So imagine being in a society where you don't know the science and there's all these different schools of thought. And it could be something like the king saying, don't wear shoes on Sunday, or it could be something as extreme as flagellants, or it could be you know, people driving out other people from your community Mm -hmm. and having to choose a camp and then be frustrated that other people aren't doing what you think will keep you safe. Right. Paula Findlin, a Stanford historian and scholar of Renaissance Italy, discussed one of the major elements that did and does allow for disease to spread. Quote, Often we see how hard it was to create reliable channels of reporting about disease, deaths, and their causes, and this is still true today. Misinformation is hardly a 21st century invention. Cities were reluctant to acknowledge the presence of plague because of the economic consequences. So you find under-reporting as well as misdiagnosis to prevent a full quarantine from taking effect. Similarly, political tensions between states could turn vague rumors of plague into the basis for retaliatory action. Quarantine could be a political weapon as well as the subject of diplomatic negotiation and agreement. The plague brought about the deepest recession in history. Mm. because it killed off such a massive portion of the planet's entire population. I imagine they were really lacking in people to work. Exactly. Exactly. So this is one of the reasons it's credited with bringing the Middle Ages to an end. There were less people to harvest the European fields, Mm -hmm. so crops rotted. And this in turn created a shortage of food, meaning prices rose so that only the wealthy could afford to eat them. And thus, the people who were left to do the manual labor were less equipped to get the work done because they hadn't eaten enough. Oh, my God. Before the Black Plague, Europe was overpopulated. And even near barren land was used for farming because acreage was so expensive. Mm. Rent was incredibly high and wages were incredibly low. And I know that it sounds crazy that I'm saying Europe was overpopulated when we now know that Europe is more densely populated. But keep in mind, this is pre-industrialization. Right. Right. Right, So everyone needs land to eat. Mm-hmm. And the weight that the society could bear in terms of population density was much lower than what we have now. So their version of op- overpopulation is not quite what ours looks like. Yeah, that makes sense, but was very relevant nonetheless. So when populations fell, the less valuable land that people had been trying to farm was turned over to livestock rather than crops. And then wages were increased due to demand, so suddenly the peasant farmers were able to afford to eat meat. They could afford to improve their own living conditions. In England, King Edward III fought against the rising cost of labor by issuing the Statute of Laborers. It required every able-bodied, unemployed person under the age of 60 to accept work from Anyone who wanted to hire him. (laughs) Violators would be fined.
0: Doesn't sound unlike some stuff that we've got going on today.
1: A contemporary from the time, Henry Knighton, wrote, quote, The workers, nevertheless, were so elated and contrary that they did not heed the mandate of the king prohibiting higher wages. But if anyone wanted to hire him, he had to give them, as the desired, either lose their crops and fruit or grant the selfish and lofty wishes of the workers. So basically, the king said, no, you have to work for no money because I said so. And everyone said, there's not enough people. You can't make us do that anymore. You have to pay us a living wage. And this is an incredibly important shift because previously land was owned by nobility and laborers lived and worked in incredible poverty. But the Black Death caused just as much death in the nobility as any other class. Mm. So many were forced to sell their serfs their freedom or sell the land to merchants. And as wealthy merchants were purchasing new land, the, quote, self-made man entered the economy as a demographic that was not to be messed with. I did not expect to find so much, any, discourse on the validity of the Black Death leading European society to the Renaissance. It's really always made sense to me that a time of mass tragedy, a major shrinking of population, consequently the workforce would lead to technological, philosophical, economic, and artistic advancement. Paula Findlin also said in her interview for Stanford News, For Italians in the 14th century, plague at first seemed extraordinary. Then it became ordinary, even endemic. People responded creatively to the initial waves of plague. They thought about life and death, love and friendship, sickness and health differently. They took the moral pulse of their society while getting down and dirty in the political struggles of the age. Through the Black Death, as politics became more entrenched in healthcare, the church became less involved. And this allowed for medical advancements that were not tied to the participation of any god, but evidence based practices like quarantines that first appeared during mm-hmm. the plague. Mm-hmm. And as the economic boom brought the end of serfdom and migratory work increased, the lower-income workers were exposed to a wider variety of cultures while simultaneously granted the time and resources to examine their own lives and the world around them in a much broader scope than the urgency of how am I going to get my next meal allows. Mm -hmm. And that is not to say that... A, medicine just magically became science, or B, that piety ended outright. As the rise of the lower class and the end of the manorial system brought about economic and social change, those who amassed wealth grew wealthier. Cameron Frank, and I don't know this person, but... I just want to thank them. They wrote a lovely senior historical paper on how the Black Death brought about the age of exploration. And I really hope they got an A. It was comprehensive. (laughs) It was beautiful. It was well cited. It's in the show notes. (laughs) He provided a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Quote, for example, after nearly half the population in Florence perished, the families that grew wealthier included the Medici's an already wealthy banking family that would become patrons of great Renaissance artists, including da Vinci and Michelangelo. Following the rise of the lay piety movement and early reformations after the pandemic, larger explorations in religious practices occurred. Religious mindsets had changed permanently from using religion to explaining the world's misfortunes to a spiritual role directed at self-salvation. These religious implications and the resulting willingness of people to question standard Catholic doctrine were contributing factors in the emergence of Martin Luther's Protestant Reformation oh. in the early 16th century, along with other religious movements. Wow. I didn't think of that either until he said it, and now i am it's obvious. Right. If you told me,
0: if you said the words like, oh, everything has an impact on everything else— it's like, yeah, obviously, these big moments in history affect other big moments in history, but <laughs> I couldn't have told you those things led to each other,
1: I know, right? It's so it's so weird. Mm-hmm. My understanding of the discourse of the Black Death leading or not leading to the Renaissance is this: first off, the Middle Ages in Europe were not as disease- ridden and unwashed and inbred as we tend to imagine them. I am not saying that everyone was walking around going maybe it's Maybelline. Tracy made (laughs) such good points earlier. Those are correct, true thoughts. But the Black Death was the exception to a large number of societies that were clearly doing well enough to have Intense class systems, oppressive religions. You just don't get time to do those things if you're dying off all the time. Right. Interestingly, where peasants didn't shower as often as we do now, they did change their undergarments much, much more. And keep in mind for them, undergarments were garments that cover their whole body pretty much. Right. And there's been recent studies that show that in a battle between bathing and laundry, laundry wins on the hygiene front every time. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. That's just one example. And things were not as bad as we thought, and they didn't get as good as it was advertised. The Renaissance was great, but one of the reasons that it seems extra great is the mass purchase of renaissance art by european powers during the first and second world war the renaissance probably definitely deserves its own series of episodes Mm -hmm. there is so much to cover it is not all the medici's funding paintings of cherubs but we do primarily associate that Art and culture and politics in Italy at the time with the Renaissance. Absolutely. And in Renaissance Italy especially, they were romanticizing Greek and Roman aesthetics. And you can see that again in Germany during the Second World War. You can see it in nearly any monument in Washington, D.C. Cultures love to associate the imagery of conquerors and the romanticism and abundance and sexy naked women of the Greek and the Roman aesthetic and then we just like add in a little bit of Christ on the cross and all of a sudden we have this brilliant propaganda for how successful a culture is Mm -hmm. look at us we're so powerful with our white columns of stone and I think that is one of the reasons that people are fighting back against this idea of Middle Ages, bad, have plague, Renaissance, good, have sculptures. Because, I mean, we're experiencing it now. There is no moment where we can definitely say one period ended and another began. That's not how it feels to live in it. I still feel like I'm trapped in 2020. So I think there is this increasingly popular narrative that, you know, if you were living there, it wasn't the shiny golden renaissance coming to save the day Mm -hmm. so now we're going to talk about how i don't know anything (laughs) okay this section is titled rowan knows nothing and i hear you dear sweet beautiful kind vaccinated listener rowan what the heck you haven't mentioned a plague doctor since the beginning not once not yet You've talked about medicine. Where's my beaked doctor? Mm Mm-hmm. This is your moment. Tracy, look at this beautiful art that I found for you. Okay. Go all in on this description.
0: Ooh, all right. This is a classic illustration of the time. It is black and white. There is the... Whatever you're picturing as a plague doctor, this is it. It's a man covered head to toe in a cloak gown thing that starts at his head he's got a very short wide cap on goggles the long beaked mask but in this case the mask actually has a line down the middle like a beak like it looks very much like a beak
1: right it's like a face
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um he's holding a staff that has wings on the top it looks like a proto medical symbol The Mm -hmm. staff with the snakes and the wings. His hands look like little claws. The fingers end in very tight little points. And he's got boots with nice little bows on them. And in the background is a village with another plague doctor and some children running around. And then there's a lot of Latin writing.
1: I just want you to know that you always exceed my expectations. (laughs) Tracy, you. you gave me what I wanted, what I needed, and more. Okay. This famous image is from Palace First's satirical 1656 engraving that translates to Dr. Beaky from Rome. <laughs> he describes that doctors did nothing useful. They would just terrify the dead in these bird costumes and take their money. The elements that he added in this image that Tracy kindly caught on to were those claw-like hands and that stick. It has bat wings and an hourglass on it, really, really tiny. And that image has been reproduced so many times. It is what we think of when we think of Plague Doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. According to the book Encyclopedia of Infectious Diseases, the first mention of a plague doctor costume came from the mid-17th century work written by Charles de Lorme. He was a royal physician in the service of King Louis XIII of France during the 1619 plague outbreak in Paris. He describes the doctors wearing a protective garment made of Moroccan goat leather. It included breeches, boots, a long coat, a hat, gloves, and a tight-fitting mask with crystal eyepieces. The mask had a long beak, about half a foot in length, that was filled with perfume and aromatic herbs. Though the beak and its fillings were thought to be essential to stop the inhalation of the miasma, The existence of this costume shows that doctors were actively trying to protect themselves from contracting plague via contact with their patients, which is a whole different Mm ballgame than the OG Black Plague. In Italy, these beaks were filled with theriac. Tracy, don't look. Guess some things that are part of the compound that included more than 55 herbs and components going into the beaks of these little bird boys. All right.
0: First off, all I could think of was the 11 herbs and spices KFC joke.
1: Oh, one c- canon. 100% 11 herbs and spices KFC <laughs> in the
0: beak. All right, so that's that's 11 of them down. Um, I would just guess really good smelling things like just very fragrant flowers and herbs or you know dried things gotta be some weird stuff in there though um what are some stuff they would use i mean uh, the thing is it's no liquid so it's no you're 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 locked and loaded something dried something
1: weird like dried weird something do you want to know what it is okay what is it okay we're starting off nice we got a little honey we got a little cinnamon we got a little myrrh And then my favorite ingredient is viper flesh powder. (laughs) (laughs) Tried something weird. (laughs) I can't even say it normally, viper flesh powder.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, that's amazing.
1: (laughs) So these outfits were worn across Europe, but the, quote, Plague Doctor was so iconic in Italy that it became a staple of Commedia dell'arte and Carnival celebrations. So the coolest part of the Black Death wasn't even in the narrative until centuries and centuries later. It did
0: exist. It's not like we made this up entirely. It's just that it wasn't part of this particular time in history.
1: Babe, I have been walking around thinking that there were plague doctors pre-Michelangelo for as long as I have been thinking about the plague. <laughs> <laughs> I know you probably knew this already, but I did not.
0: I know. I did, and I'm sorry. I didn't know all the details of it, though. I just knew vaguely that what we thought of as plague doctors now like, weren't plague doctors the way that history actually made them.
1: Honestly, I feel so let down by you. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> so sorry. So I brought something creepy to cheer myself up. And this was something that I already knew and expected to be debunked. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Ooh, okay. Ring Around the rosy. Yes. This is to mend my heartbreak. A creepy child song. So imagine you're in the suburbs. Uh, the, the, everything's a little sepia tone, but not quite, because you're in an 80s movie. And, Mm -hmm. um, in the middle distance, there is a group of three, four, maybe even five, uh, uncomfortably small children bopping around in a yard singing. And they're singing Ring Around the Rosie. Do you want to sing it, Trace?
0: I don't, Rowan. I don't want (laughs) to sing it, but I will say the lyrics. Okay. All right. So the first one is obviously Ring Around the Rosie
1: which is referring to a red ring that developed on the skin of plague victims, and it was the precursor to the horrible boils that would eventually fester. Hmm. Pocket full of posy. This comes from the desire of people to protect themselves from the miasma, so they would carry around flowers, they would hold bouquets in their faces, because if you can't smell it, you can't die, baby. Ashes, ashes. Now, this could be imitating a sneezing sound, but let's be honest, it's the fact that we burned... Plague victims. Oh,
0: like a shoe, a shoe. Like ashes.
1: Yeah, it either is optional.
0: Hmm. And then we all fall down.
1: Which is everyone falling down dead. So dark. So good. I love a creepy kid. <laughs> I do. I love a creepy child. Like, if a child is singing and it sounds like this wholesome song and it's actually about the most deadly plague in history. Mm-hmm that's punk rock (laughs) (laughs) all right so you ready for a brief story yes i am okay my love i believe this will be my last letter to you i do not know if any before have yet made it from this lodging i know everything i touch is likely to be burned before transported and i have the sneaking suspicion that each message i tuck beneath the front door is left only where it lies So there is a mass of writings of my love for you, and you have no knowledge at all. I should not have taken the job, as you said. It was too dangerous, you were right, but not for any reason you suspected. I think you imagined me meeting a tragic accident in the waves, or finding the wrong end of a blade in my belly over some silly man's conflict. Perhaps you will imagine this still. It's impossible to know what news leaves this city. I do not speak the language. It is a fast, rolling dialect. I might have picked up a few words, but my head is hot and my thoughts are too thick to translate. No one knows me here, and they've put us all in a sort of ward or rooming house for the Black Death. I'm not sure where I am, really. But I don't imagine it matters much. From the small window, I can see this port city looks like one of wealth, if you could remove the black stains that permeate the very air. There's smoke rising every day from one corner of the horizon or the next. I could see an entire building burn to the ground not but this morning. It created such an oppressive heat, I felt myself wanting to cry with frustration. Yet no water came to wet my eyes. The people around this massive room lie at odd angles I can't quite parse. Everything is damp and noxious and there is a moaning unending... It is so constant, in fact, that I did not realize until last night that I am the one making the sound. I stopped for the briefest moment only to try a small sip of water, and in the time that the sound no longer filled me, a rotting ache came in to replace it. My insides are so very hot. I've seen that they take the bodies away once they stop moaning, And I know they must inspect them somehow, dig in to find the blooming pain that causes it all. I've been told it travels through the very air, all the way from the east, they say. And that if we could just stop the smell, we could stop the spread. But the air smells of burning now, and the man beside me has still fallen to his knees with sickness and prayer. There are figures. I've tried to sort them out as best i can manage they are tall robed monsters with crystalline eyes and beaks of rough black flesh i know you'll think i'm lost in fever love but they have them in this place like men of the cloth bound in robes they hide their clacking beaks beneath hats and masks Their hands are thick and fat like paws, and they tend to the dead before hauling them out the one barred door. I think they're carrion men. They come to eat us, like vultures, to protect the living from our rot. I know it must be so, because they are the only things the people will allow to come and go from this place. They do not speak any language, and they smell always of garden flowers and church incense. So, do you think a demon is still a creature of God? Might he send them here, as they are the best equipped to deal with our pestilence? As the days have worn on, I've begun to hope for fire that this building, like the one I see in the distance now, would be set ablaze, and we might curl up in a last warm sleep. But now I think I must hope for the birds. I have a coin. I've been saving it in a hidden pocket. Each time they come in, I moan as loudly as I can manage so they know that I am alive and they do not take me away. But this next time, I think I will remain silent, This is the last of my paper and I have no energy left for writing. I will stay silent until one of the birds lumbers by to taste and see that I am dead. I am sure with this coin I will be able to entice the creature to ferry me safely. I love you very much. I always have. Oh my god. (laughs) That
0: was so good. The idea of kind of in that feverish state calling them carrion people and likening them to ferrymen of the dead and the line about does god send demons to deal with our pestilence
1: oh all of that was just so good could you imagine anything worse than being that sick and having the only people that you interact with dressed up like it's horrible it's torture I actual mean, nightmares horrible i, I truly unthinkable. Yeah, I <sighs> and we talked so much in 2020 about I mean, I'm very lucky to know a lot of people in the medical field, but about how they struggled with how impersonal it felt being mm-hmm. as masked as they were and People went to great lengths to still give people very human-feeling care while still being that masked. And this is the opposite of that. hmm So I, I have statistics because I love a statistic. I love it. I've got quite a few. Okay. The Black Death is estimated to have killed about 200 million people between 1347 and 1351. Many early statistics only include figures from mainland Europe, but that's because that's where the disease was centralized. It absolutely wiped out about 30 to 50 percent of that continent's entire population. Wow. And it took Europe 200 years to recover from that population loss. Wow. The 17th century Great Plagues where our plague doctors are from, that routinely ravaged Europe, resulted in about 3 million deaths by 1600, which is so much less. So already we're seeing advancements Mm -hmm. in just how society operates, not even... That is 197 million
0: fewer people who died. Hmm? Oh my god.
1: There would be reports of more than 50 plagues in Cairo, Egypt, in the 150 years after its first appearance in the region. And it would appear at least once yearly in an Islamic nation between 1500 and 1850. So there are parts of the world that are just ravaged over and over mm-hmm. again. And even though it's a much smaller scale, smaller than the loss of 50% of a continent is, you know. Yeah. The third plague, which is denoted as the time between 1855 and 1859, primarily affected China and India, and that caused about 12 million deaths.
0: Okay, so four times the amount of deaths from
1: the second plague, but
0: still 188 million fewer deaths than the first one. Yes. These numbers we're talking the scales that we're discussing this on is unfathomable.
1: I want to put it in perspective, actually, of some other diseases throughout history because I think that that will be really helpful because you're so mm-hmm. right. It is unfathomable. We see similarly devastating population loss that came about due to smallpox. An estimated 90% of Native Americans lost their lives to the disease by 1520. The world's first vaccine was eventually created to combat smallpox. Mm -hmm. I just want to remind everyone that Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch did not come around with germ theory until the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So even knowing that microorganisms cause disease is such a game changer. In the entire time we've talked about so far, germs are not even on the table. Nope. An idea similar to germs isn't even really on the table. Right. And I want to emphasize that medicine doesn't always fix the problem. As of May 5th, 2020, Very Well Health reports that the ongoing tuberculosis pandemics kill over 1.5 million people every year, and that is in spite of the availability of effective treatment. Wow. One of the major issues in the case of that spreading disease is multi-drug resistance and the ability of nations to afford, acquire, and then distribute treatments. If you get antibiotics, take the full course of antibiotics. Do not
0: stop when you feel better because all you're doing is not killing off the strongest of the bacteria and then those are the ones that reproduce. Take the full course. That is, uh, my message to you today, I will step off my soapbox, but not very
1: far, because I will always jump back on the soapbox to say that again. It's about to get spicier, so you can just stay on your soapbox. Okay, sounds good. Similarly, politics can cause diseases to ravage communities that might otherwise be helped. Between 1981 and 2020, HIV-AIDS has killed between 25 and 35 million people. In an article for LitHub, Walt Odetz writes... Quote, two years after this press briefing in 1984, five and a half years into the epidemic, we had accumulated 28,712 reported AIDS cases, 24,559 deaths, and the almost certain probability of hundreds of thousands of existing infections that had not yet manifested as clinical AIDS. The president of the United States has still not publicly uttered a single word on the subject. By the end of his presidency in 1989, Reagan had done nothing of substance, and the United States had suffered 89,343 deaths. The death rate was still rapidly rising, and more than 300,000 would be dead before the epidemic came under better control seven years later. Stigma had triumphed, and the death toll of young gay men was the fruit of its labor. It is vital to remember that while diseases like AIDS do not discriminate, medicine does when the people and power structures who fund its advancement devalue the lives of certain peoples. Yes. And of course, we have to compare the statistics on the plague to those of the pandemic Mm -hmm. Because living through a world health crisis allows us to experience the way that politics, economics, press, education, all of it affect our survival. As of August 23rd, 2021, an estimated 4.43 million mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, children, grandparents, lovers, and friends have died from COVID-19. An estimated 24.5% of the worldwide population is fully vaccinated. Which is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying.
0: I, I don't have more than that. I mean, I could go into the statistics around how many people would need to be vaccinated for us to have herd immunity, but then that doesn't even take into account the changing variants and all of that. I mean, it's just truly... It's a tough time to be living in, and... um I'm ready to be done living through history.
1: <laughs> no, Let's live in precedented times. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the precedented times. This time is fully precedented. <laughs> so I found the coolest article on Science Alert. I want to talk about something just so magnificent that is coming from science right now. It was published on July 29th, 2021, and it was written by Tessa Comanondoros, and it is, oh my God, so punk rock. Okay. Quote <laughs> The University of Oxford has just launched a phase one trial to test a new vaccine against a very old enemy, plague, all based on technology that is helping humanity fight COVID. Oh, that is so cool. It's so cool. So, yes, we can cure plague with antibiotics. But many of the places that struggle with outbreaks today are more remote, and getting antibiotics to people who need them when they need them is not as reliable as doling out a vaccination in advance. hmm In case you thought the plague was long gone, unfortunately, that is not the case. On July 24th of this year, The Hill reported the case of a 10-year-old boy in Colorado who died from complications caused by the plague. To quote the article from Live Science again, The Oxford vaccine group has developed an intermuscular vaccine using a modified cold virus that can't multiply in humans, similar to the one used in the AstraZeneca COVID-19 shot. The virus will be used to deliver the gene code from a protein from Y-pestis that is essential to its ability to infect us in order to teach our immune system to recognize it as an invader just like how many COVID-19 vaccines target its spike protein. For the record, the plague vaccination work isn't actually new. When you don't have the entire globe getting together and dumping all the time, money, and energy into developing a vaccine for one disease, COVID-19, science moves slower in 2016, Live Science published an article titled, Three New Vaccines Against Black Death, Plague Bacteria Show Promise. In that piece, Rachel Retner wrote, quote, But without prompt treatment, plague is nearly 100% fatal, the researchers said. Because of the high fatality rate without treatment, the optimal strategy for protecting people against this deadly disease would be through vaccination.
0: I'm going to jump back on my soapbox real quick vaccines save lives. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Vaccines are safe. They are safe, they save lives, and they are an important part of us keeping each other safe and healthy as humans and as a society. There are those people who cannot get vaccines. They might be immunocompromised or have allergic reactions to those vaccines, and it is our duty as part of a society to protect ourselves so we can protect them. Everyone needs to be vaccinated fully, not just COVID-19. This is a hill I will die on. If you want much more in-depth, scientific, and important information on it, you can listen to almost any episode of Sawbones. Uh, they, Sydney McElroy, who is a doctor, talks a lot about vaccines, how they're made, what makes them safe, and why everyone should get them. I am just... That's the hill I'll die on. Get vaccinated. It protects people. If you cannot, that's a different story. If you choose not to, you are choosing not to protect the people around you.
1: To back up Tracy's point, between the publishing of that article in 2016, where there were hopeful advancements in a plague vaccine, and then the recent development of the vaccine only months ago, Madagascar experienced a deadly plague outbreak in 2017. It resulted in 2,119 confirmed cases and at least 171 deaths. And while that may seem small when we're talking about pandemics that affected millions, the number of plague cases has actually increased in 25 countries since the 1990s. And I want to reiterate that this is one example of the absolute magic that has come from the world getting together to combat COVID. All of the brightest minds, billions of dollars, the people who are bold enough to discover life-saving care in the meantime, the people who volunteered to participate in vaccine studies, the doctors, the nurses, the EMTs. The people who set up their computers to mine data, the people who wore masks and stay home. That is everyone agreeing to do everything that they can to make science work. Mm-hmm. And there is a very like specifically beautiful kind of magic to turn around and see the brilliance. Of our ability to deal with one disease helping us fight yet another disease. Mm -hmm. We are now in a period where we can see a benefit that stretches so much further than we can even imagine. Right. And when people talk about, you know, it was rushed, it was so fast. No, it wasn't rushed. Everyone in the whole world decided this is what we were going to spend all of our money and our time and our energy on. Right. And I do want to be clear. It it, it absolutely was rushed, but it was rushed. I feel like rushed implies like slapdash, like toxic, like speedily created is not the same thing. Right verifying the safety, verifying
0: tests. It's just normally there's a longer period between tests to register and understand data, and it's it's much more complicated than I'm simplifying it to be, but all of the world's effort put onto this. In order to get it out there safely, we had the ability and the resources to thoroughly test what is being put into people before something can go to the public and understand the data more quickly to test things. So it's like you said, more people were on this. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
1: So in case you can't tell by how passionate and informed Tracy is, her father is one of the brilliant, hardworking minds that made the COVID vaccine possible. Um hi, we love science. Yeah,
0: he worked hard. <laughs> we love science. Science is very important. I'm very passionate about it and I think People need to do what they can to learn all that went into everything because it is so important and so unprecedented what we've been able to do over the last year with the vaccine.
1: And as a last cool bit of vaccine news... The plague vaccine has currently only been tested in a lab setting, but its development is ongoing. Results are very promising. And I believe they are still recruiting volunteers for the next round of trials. So if anyone is interested in becoming one of the hundreds of thousands of people who are absolutely vital to advancements in medicine that we need to save lives, check that out. You could save us all from the plague.
0: If that's available near me, I will absolutely. Be a test subject for that.
1: How cool would that be? Like, yeah, I tested out the plague vaccine. People are like, oh, what? The plague? You're like, yeah, yeah that the one. plague. <laughs> <laughs> that plague. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that's the kind of clout chasing we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tracy, that was my ode to you. I appreciate you letting oh, me take over Rowan. this topic.
0: You did such a good job. You did such a good job. I mean, the level of detail that you put into this, the amount of little amazing, wonderful tidbits you threw my way, it was everything I could ever want and more. I Seriously, good job with Thank this you episode. All.
1: It's my really absolute good job. pleasure to ache everyone out, truly. <laughs> it's spooky season, baby. I feel like this is a little, like, legit spooky. You know, like, dancing skeletons, but also, like, Lateral skeletons? Yeah.
0: But that's like, you know, our thing.
1: It is our thing. A little spooky
0: and a little genuinely spooky.
1: (laughs) A little spooky, a little scary. Hey, Trace, tell me Mm -hmm.
0: something good. My something good is that it was, as of recording this, fairly recently, my birthday, and just today, I got the best gift from Rowan. So most of our listeners know she got me the marigold tarot deck as an anniversary podcast present uh, slash christmas gift and for my birthday she got me the companion book that helps you go through the meaning of each of the cards with all the illustrations and it's all black and gold and beautiful and it's just it's wonderful and
1: it made my whole day I'm glad you like those so much that when I saw the book existed, I had to do it. the The real downfall is that I did not anticipate how long international shipping would take. So, happy belated birthday!
0: <laughs> it just means my birthday gets extended, and I love that. Good.
1: I uh, yeah. you'll have to send me pictures of the book so I can live vicariously through you because I oh, will do. I wanna. It's a pretty book. You should probably have it facing out in your bookshelf.
0: (laughs) Okay, just for you, I will. (laughs) All right, it's your turn to
1: tell me something good. I just went to, this weekend at the time of recording, The Labyrinth of Jareth. Oh my God, your costume was unreal. It was so good. It came out really well. I'm very proud of it. That wig was... Real, oof, it was really hard for me because I didn't know I wanted green, black bob hair until yeah. I was wearing it. Mm-hmm. It was a good but pitch. It, it
0: suited you. It suited you so well.
1: Yeah, I could I could dye my hair black. Um, it was really <sighs> fun. My dress came out great. I had a lot of help pulling that together. I made the little headpiece out of kid snakes and it, lots it, of glue. You have to post pictures paint. of it online because, oh my God, it is gorgeous. Yeah, thank you. I, thank you. And I got temporary tattoos off Etsy and the number of people that came up to me asking me if my tattoo was real or fake was very fun. Ooh, that is good. Yes, I should. I will add that Etsy seller to the uh, recommendations page because it was honestly the nicest temporary tattoo I've ever encountered in my whole life.
0: Was it the tattooery?
1: No, it wasn't. Oh, they do really
0: good temporary tattoos.
1: The snake was the size of my entire back.
0: Ooh, okay i need to see
1: this it was very cool so it was nice to go out and everyone there was vaccinated and masked and we love it yeah it was fun to dress up and everyone was there the rest of the coven was there sage kaylee editor tyler was there just everyone was out in their full (laughs) their full looks good yeah i love that that's amazing so this was it friends get vaxxed wear a mask. Be happy. Rowan did it. Everyone
0: tell Rowan what a good job she did, because even though this episode was just for me, um, (laughs) I'm really impressed with her and I want everyone to tell her what a good job she did.
1: The next world-altering disease is yours to cover, my love. Okay. All right. Sounds good.
0: (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining us. And remember,
1: stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Mm, Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon. Okay? thank you so much for joining us for the willing and fable podcast this episode was written and produced by tracy harrison and rowan hall that's me our music was written and performed by taylor ash and our logo is by jamie harrison if you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch. Or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating.